Hey guys, it's um, a very melancholy episode. Our friend of the show, Derek Royal, uh, who hosts the Comics Alternative and is uh, co-hosted with us, and we've co-hosted with him in crossover episodes, um, he passed away uh, very recently. I had been thinking about Derek. You know, we had talked about another crossover, and um, was kind of reaching out to some people a few days ago. Um, and then lo and behold, a post came up yesterday. It was very eerie uh, that he had passed um, from heart disease. Um, he was a little older than me, but not much. It very sad, way too young, and. I was kind of just thinking back. We, we've done some interesting crossovers. We did a crossover on uh, waiting for the trade with the comics alternative guys and uh, Kyle and I, maybe Bob back then. I'll try to find that and throw that on here as well. Um, and we we did like a best of uh, one year as a crossover. That was fun. And the cool thing about comics alternative was they always focused on the indie books and they focused on non-Big 2 stuff. Derek always said he liked he liked that stuff. Liked it fine. Nothing wrong with it. But they got they got, they got plenty of publicity. Um, everybody talked about those. He wanted to shine a light on the smaller publisher and the first seconds and drawn, drawn in quarterlies and um, the tiny publishers in the back, and he was a big image c- proponent of as well. Um, just a real joy to talk to. Great guy to be around. Smartest guy in the room, and uh, he was really a, a great podcaster for a lot of years since 2012, I think. Um, he's been doing it, and um, so he predates Kyle and I. Kyle and I actually, or Kyle actually wrote some uh, reviews for his website. I think they're still up. I think I remember him doing one for Spread and one for Cal, um, an issue of Cal. And uh, yeah, so Kyle was doing writing reviews for him over there on his site. You'll probably still find them, um, as well as some of our crossover episodes. Some may have be, be lost to time, um, but I, I did find one. I want to try to stitch it together with this, uh, just as a, a remembrance of Derek, uh, good guy, great podcaster, great comics promoter, and uh, a, a, a nice fella, and, and he was taken way too soon. So my condolences go out to him and his family. Um, read a comic today in his honor. Just not a big two comic. Uh, make it an indie comic. And... Um, if you if you go over to his site, you can go over uh, find it on Facebook or Twitter um, if you want to um, go or go to his website and you reach out to him that way. Uh, you can drop him a note if you were a fan. Uh, feel free, or you can if you go to Facebook and search for Derek Royal D E R E K R O Y A L, you can see all the outpouring of. Um, surprise and shock and sadness and uh, celebrating of of him and and read read some of that that stuff I won't read it here um, it's just way too much um, and I don't think I could get through it but 
um, feel free to check that out. Anyway, um, sad, sad to hear, but uh, I wanted you to, to if you ha- if you weren't a, didn't know about Comics Alternative or Derek, to give this a listen and check out uh, one of our crossover episodes. So thank you. This is the Comics Alternative, episode eighty six point one, a roundtable discussion on trade waiting. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Comics Alternative. I'm Derek. And I'm Andy, and we're two guys with PhDs talking about comics. And on this special episode of the Comics Alternative, we're doing a crossover with another podcast. And we've done things like this before, but this is the first time that we'll be talking with the guys at the podcast Comics for Fun and Profit. So we got in touch with Drew, Kyle, and Bob and asked them if they were interested in doing it podcast crossover they said yes and then we decided on a topic that's right and our topic is trade waiting and we came at it from a variety of different angles some of those reflect you know the different focuses of Mm -hmm. the podcast Uh, but before we get though to our conversation we want to let all of our listeners know that this episode special crossover episode of the comics alternative is brought to you by discount comic book service Go to dcbservice.com, and they'll take care of all of your comics pre-ordering needs. There you'll find DC, Marvel, Image, and Dark Horse titles at 40% off the cover price if you pre-order. For the other publishers, you'll find a discount of 20 to 35% off the cover price, and they have specials that go even higher than that, 45% off, 55% off, and even more. That's right, and uh, this month all Marvel trades and hardcovers are are 50% off, and as usual they have quite a few bundles where you can get more than one comic uh, uh, for a deeper discount than uh, than you would for if you got them individually. So, for example, it, the, um, uh, the as usual they have a Valiant bundle in which you can get all of the recent comics from Valiant for 50% off. Um, and they have Dynamite's Justice Incorporated bundle where you can get uh, all the covers to, to the first issue of Justice Incorporated for 50% off. That's right. And they have a lot of other specials there. So, for instance, they have a number of Steve Ditko comics, which they do every now and again at special discounted prices. Mm. A lot of things like that. You have to go to the website to find out about all their specials for the month of June. And you can do so by going to dcbservice.com. Go there, and they'll take care of all of your comics pre-ordering needs. And when you do, tell them the two guys with PhDs sent you. That's right. So, you want to get into our roundtable discussion? Let's do it.
Hey guys, here we are, and this is the first time we've had a podcast crossover between Comics for Fun and Profit and the Comics Alternative. So I want to thank everyone for actually being able for us to coordinate a time, because I think all three of you from Comics for Fun and Profit are here, and then both Andy and I, so we got five people. Yeah, we're really clogging up the airwaves. This is uh, Drew Ellinger with... Um uh, comics for fun and profit, and um, my compatriots are. Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> me? Oh, me. Uh, this this is Bob. Comics for fun and profit. Uh, you can find me doing uh, comic book reviews with uh, Drew over here. And this is Kyle. I usually end up doing a lot of the sneak peeks at the upcoming things with Drew. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, we focus on we focus on some of the basics that a lot of folks do. A lot, of, a lot of your comic podcasts do. We do we do the reviews, but we also uh, our angle is our our what makes us a little unique in the marketplace is that we focus on uh, comic book speculation and the the flipping of comic books and the sale of comic books and some you know some of us are more aggressive than others. Uh, we all we're all readers and lovers of the genre, but we also uh, have fun selling our comics too. And some of us need to pay for our comic habit by selling <laughs> comics. Exactly, is the biggest thing. Exactly. So that's us. <laughs> and uh, this is this is Andy from Comics Alternative. And Derek, I guess since you started off, I can talk, say something about the show. Please do. So, uh, and so we call ourselves the two guys with PhDs talking about comics, and we try to take, uh, as our title says, an alternative approach to comics that is not not talk uh, uh, as much about mainstream superhero comics from DC and Marvel as maybe a lot of other podcasts do, but instead try to focus on the independent stuff from uh, things like image places like Image Comics to self-published comics. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, yeah, it's not like we well we've made a decision not to re- definitely not to review uh, mainstream superheroes although Andy and I can't help ourselves every now and again I guess almost on every episode we uh, we bring up superheroes in some form or another well yeah it is comic books yeah yeah uh, um, so when when we started to talk about a possible topic because it's one thing to say hey let's do a, a podcast crossover it's something else entirely to come up with a topic that we can all agree on and all of us think will make an engaging topic for conversation. Uh, I think you guys there, Drew, threw out the, the possibility of trade waiting, which I, I thought you know was great, and Andy and I talked about it. This is something that it comes up every now and again on the Comics Alternative, but we only talk about it in passing. It's like, you know, one of us will say, yeah, okay, it's pretty good. I'll wait for the trade. And then we'll move yeah. on. Yeah, that phenomenon... Um I didn't get it uh, for the longest time. I don't know how I didn't know how folks could wait uh, when that when the, that content is out there. It's sitting on the shelf, it's begging to be read, and and uh, I never understood the folks that just sit there and wait. And especially some of these schedules like DC takes forever to put out a, you know something in a trade, and uh, the image is not too bad, but uh, at DC it takes forever, and I, I just I couldn't figure it out. Um, in, in the, but now I, I kind of get it now. Some of the titles really lend themselves to trade, and and I, I get I really do get why people do what they do with the trade waiting. And every single time we talk about a few of our favorite authors, Kirkman in general, we talk about everything Kirkman's ever done. It's so much 
Ultima takes so long to get to what we not like it to. So every single time we review a single issue, we say, maybe we should have stacked a few of these or waited for a trade because some of it just reads so much better in bulk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I read Walking Dead in trade, I often have a hard time figuring out where the issue breaks are. Yeah. Because it feels They're, like it just goes very smoothly. It's much better in chunks. And I, so I, I totally get it now, uh, why they do it. Well, you know, maybe one way to begin is if we can start by talking about our own habits of reading and buying comics, and, and as idiosyncratic as those might be. Well, well for me, I'm um, mostly digital. I would say you know, 50% digital, 60% digital, and then uh, the rest floppy comics, um, you know, I do mail order comics, so I'm waiting on a lot of my, a lot of my books from DCBS. Uh oh, plugged them. Sorry, uh, you can cut that out. Uh, <laughs> there are there are sponsors. So we okay, just, we there we go. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I so never mention their name because they do not sponsor us. <laughs> you know, you know, we did the same thing at first until they sponsored. Until they decided to sponsor us, we wouldn't say their name on the on the podcast. But now we proudly do. There you go. Okay, go go DCBS then. Um, but um, so. You know, I, I kind of flip-flop back and forth between the single issue and really don't read anything in trade myself. Okay. Myself? Yeah. Okay, I, I'm almost purely floppy comic. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm really big into... Uh, Im- anything Image does, I grab the first one. Anything that grabs me. I'm not big on uh, short run, things that have a, a short set, like of five or of six, but anything I think from Image is going to be a long haul or has the ability to... I'm always jumping on that right from the get-go. I always want those in collectible form because, like I said, I, I love to speculate. I love like, love for a book to gain some value and stuff like that. So I usually um, always go for the first image. Things like Cal or things that really hit my speculation, I usually grab two or three of just so I have my personal collection and something to possibly spec on. But I just I absolutely eat image-first stuff up, and then I've got a few of the regular bat books I get, but I'm almost all primarily literal comic okay. yeah how about you Bob oh good I gotta go last um, <laughs> I wanted to go last because I am a mashup uh, I gotta do digital for my reviews because like Drew I wait on my DCBS box to get here because I like to pre-order um, I like to do that to um, I speculate try to get ahead of things try to order the stuff I think is going to be hot and the stuff I love as well and I just love sitting there with the trade. So um, normally I already know the book is going to be good because I've already read it. I'll also buy the trade to keep on my shelf, break that bad boy open, and enjoy the story again, especially if I know from reading single issues that it works better in a trade. Um, some of those being Walking Dead, and uh, I really enjoy mind management uh, in, in big chunks too, so I always pick those up. Andy, what are your habits? I know we bring it up uh, every now and again. On yeah, the yeah. I'm. It, it, I, one of the reasons why I was interested in this topic is that I'm kind of in a period of transition, and um, I'm sitting in my in my office, which barely has a trail that I could get through. <laughs> that is that is not comic boxes or stacks of loose comics or stacks of uh, trades that don't fit on a shelf on the shelves <laughs> that I have in here. And um, and so I'm starting to think more heavily on digital, and and you know, to just just 
kind of to reduce the clutter and to not have to um, uh, buy a new house. <laughs> and and but also I've I've noticed with especially with a lot of the image stuff I'm moving I'm moving almost all my image titles I read regularly to trade at this point and part of that reason isn't to do with space or economics but that I am finding with <laughs> say like Jonathan Hickman's stuff with East of West or Manhattan Projects, I'll read an issue and I, uh, when it comes out and I'll feel like I can't remember what's going on in this book. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'll have to, and so I feel like if I was reading it maybe in uh, in six issue chunks, I would be uh, I would be feeling better about that. But there's some titles that I won't do that with, um, like um, Matt, Fraction, Matt Fraction and Chip Zarsky's Sex criminals and sort of with mind management because uh, both both of those sets of creators do things that make the single issue worth getting. Yeah, you know the, the letter pages in Sex Criminals are hilarious. Yeah, and as long as those are gonna they're gonna put those there and not in the uh, and not in the trades, I'm gonna keep doing that. And you know and and Matt Kent actually kind of makes the experience of reading the individual issue every month of mind management mind management a unique experience that you can't get if you do do the trade um and so uh, i really appreciate those creators who are doing something to kind of encourage that uh i think you know ed brubaker does it too mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff he does so um so there's those books uh and then i so there's those books i feel like i'm transitioning into trades there's those books i'm uh that create a unique experience issue that I want to keep reading. And then there's the kind of third category, and this is where a lot of, for me right now, a lot of Marvel titles are fitting into, the stuff that um, I really want the experience of reading uh, every, you know, as they come out on a weekly basis, that I feel like the, the, the comics that I really, really like, the anticipation of them every week is kind of the way I used to feel. Uh, when I was a kid buying comics and I think a lot of that's returning with the Marvel comics I'm reading now you know several of you have mentioned you know in, in, in the context of buying habits digital that's something you know I didn't even think about when we first started to discuss this idea and I can see where that would figure into the trade versus single issue although that's kind of another argument in a way I mean depending on how you look at it um, now my own buying habits I rarely get digital comics although I can see where Andy's definitely coming from in terms of space and um, you know, I mean, storage uh, has become an issue but um, and also being able to navigate in my in my study there's that but with with me usually with the big two uh, it, with the exception of Vertigo, I don't get single issues, uh, especially with the superhero narratives. I wait until a story arc is complete or an event. You know, of course, now they're like about every other month it seems. You know, after yeah. one of those has been completed, and then I'll read it. You know, in, in you know, collected in some way. Um, with certain publishers like Image. Um, I usually don't get trades because I already get the individual issues, and if I had more money, then I would double dip in waiting for, you know, getting the issues and then getting the trades. 
Um, now, there, there are some titles, several of us have mentioned Walking Dead, and I think that's a great example that we'll continue to come back to uh, on today's discussion, uh, because I don't get individual issues of Walking Dead, and the primary reason is because I came to Walking Dead relatively late in the game. Uh, I guess, I don't know where they were, maybe issue 30-some, 40-some, something like that. And so what I what I started to do to, to play catch-up is not to get the trades, but to get the hardbound deluxe, which basically cat, uh, collects two trades. Uh, and so what I won't even get the trades to Walking Dead now. I'll just wait until those hardback volumes come out. So I have to wait a little longer. Absolutely, and somebody who waited quite a bit on Walking Dead myself, the omnibus saved me from having to do any of that kind of thing. Mm. It's the only thing, the reason I was able to catch up. Yeah, and and sometimes if I do have the funds with a title that I absolutely love, like Fables, I definitely get all individual issues of Fables. I don't get the trades, but what I will do is when DC comes out with one of those nice deluxe editions, the hardbounds, then I'll double dip in that way. And those don't those don't come up that often, so you know it can be affordable to a point. Um, but you know what all of you were saying is is fascinating because before we started the, the the podcast recording tonight, what I did was I sat down and I wrote out a number of benefits of going with individual issues and a number of benefits of going with the trades. And so I'd like to maybe go over a few of these, and you've, you've, you guys have already mentioned some, and then chime in with, with others. Uh, so, for instance, some of the benefits of buying individual issues is you want the story sooner, and you just don't want to wait, because it's such an engaging story, you want the next chapter. Okay. Yeah, and, and the idea, especially with us being uh, pod, podcasting as well about a, a hobby, timeliness is key. Exactly. We can't, we can't wait for these, these stories. And some, if people are sensitive to um, spoilers, uh, you're going you're gonna to get spoiled on things if you're waiting for the trade as well. So um, it, that, that's, that's kind of the, the problem with trades in my mind. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's, that's another reason. I think it's kind of a subcategory in a way. It's the need to keep up and be current. And I think for those of us who are in the media, because, you know, we're media people, right? Um, right. We're bloggers, we're podcasters. And so it's nice to, to keep up with the subject matter you know, as best as we can. Um, another reason, and this is, I think, what, what you guys can, can speak to more than, than Andy and I, uh, at least in our podcast focus, is collectability, right? Because if you are in it for collecting, you know, even, even partly, then individual issues are going to be necessary. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be able to sell very there are very few trades that have any value right um, uh, you know your occasional hardcover goes out of print and skyrockets but um, it, you know it goes hand in hand for me the collectability aspect of the issues with the the, the difficulty storing hardcovers and trades in my house I have the same problem Andy has I'm running out of house and <laughs> so that's really what set me on the road to um, it's time for somebody else to enjoy these comics. I'm gonna let's sell these and, and and get these out there into the world, and that lets me have some space back in my my office. And uh, if I replace that with trades and hardcovers, I don't know that it would I would really gain anything. Um, so I, I've got to kind of move towards uh, a, a digital 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 plane. I think. 
Um, you know, something that a couple of you mentioned, um, I, I think maybe even indirectly, is, is a, this is a fourth reason why I was thinking, you know, one of the benefits of, of mind individual issues, and that is, you know, just kind of a, a love of comic books or just the idea of a comic book, you know, the physicality of holding it in your hand, you know, and not, not just holding, you know, like a trade. I mean, it's it's a little different, you know. The the you know many people call them floppies. You know, the, it, it's just a different feel than holding a trade or even a hardcover collection in your hand. And so, I mean, there's some people who, who really enjoy that. So that would be a benefit of buying the individual issues. Um, and, and, and another reason is, and this is one of the things I try to keep in mind, is many times when you're talking about smaller publishers, especially self-publishers. You're helping out the artist, who in many times, many times is the publisher, and I think a great example of that is Terry Moore. Um, and if you buy the individual issues, the likelihood of certain titles sticking around for a decent period of time, I think, is is increased. Uh, whereas buying from the big two, you know, is like getting a Marvel or a DC individual title uh, in a comic book. It's not going to break them, right? If we don't. So they can always put out more, and they're going to regardless. But when it comes to smaller presses and uh, individual, you know, like self-published uh, artists and writers, I think buying the individual individual issues do does help them. A great example of that is we recently did an interview with Laramie Taylor, who is the creator of A Voice in the Dark and mm-hmm. for Image, and a great guy. But you know he his margins are wafer thin and uh, it, it matters when he gets an, another 100, 200, 500, 1,000 copies of his comic sold, his single issue comic, that that matters a lot to him. Uh, I mean, he, he lives off of that money mm-hmm. and his sales, his single issue sales are very important to him being able to continue to create and to even get to the, to the, the viability of the trade. And so, to to echo your point, it, it, some of these guys aren't going to even make it to the trade because they need those single issue sales to prop them up financially, at least long enough to get there. That that's interesting because I was um, recently I was recently talking to Tim Seeley, and um, and we I like to talk to him when we get together about the kind of business side of things, anyway, and. Um, he was telling me with Hack Slash that the individual issues of Hack Slash either break even or lose money. He sells about four to five thousand copies a piece of those. But the omnibus collections that he he has put out, and I think there's four or five of those, sell somewhere around thirty thousand copies a piece, right. like per per year. And so he's <laughs> all all the money he is making off of that. But see, he's from those. He's Image Central, where yeah. Laramie Laramie is Top Cow. So Sealy uh-huh. has the has the twenty five hundred three thousand uh, dollar per issue payout that he has to that comes off the top. Whereas uh-huh. Tap Top Cow has some ownership of that of, of Voice in the Dark, uh-huh. and so so he ha- he can sell less and make more uh, on on that side. So it just depends on what your deal is. What what your creator own deal is, I guess. He he's also saying too that is that his audience isn't a single issue audience either. You know that that they're in bookstores, um, 
and they're not also in fact not necessarily reading a lot of other comics really yeah he he does revival also right yeah yeah and he said that that revival's also doing very well for them in in the trades as a person who falls behind on Revival, I find it quite fun to read in bulk or in essentially yeah. the trade format in and of itself. So I can see where Tim Seeley's writing really uh, lends him to a, a trade format. But also, he just did a, uh, a superhero crossover with Nightwing that was a single-issue one-off, and he did a great job on that. Yeah, and he's doing Grayson coming up. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier for writers to uh, stack their works up you know, and and I think it would probably be easier for a writer to live off of three or four titles selling a couple thousand issues apiece than a, a writer, artist, letterer, colorist like Laramie, who it takes him the entire 28 yeah. days to get that issue out. I mean, it, it, all his eggs are in one basket, really. Yeah. And, you know, along with this, and there are going to be some cases like Andy mentioned with with Tim Seeley that he makes more from the collections than he does with the individual titles but kind of an opposite case I I just recently interviewed Terry Moore and he pointed out that the the future of you know currently Rachel Rising is based on these individual issues so if he if those sales remain you know, halfway decent, then he's going to be able to continue putting out the individual issues, uh, or not not only just the individual issues, but Rachel Rising. Period. Uh, I mean, we have what so far three trade collections of um, of Rachel Rising, but he said that it's the sales of each monthly issue that's going to determine whether he's able to carry this out or not, or carry it on. Uh, and he's a one he's a one man shop as well, right? Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. he. Yeah. he and he and his wife uh, are basically abstract studios, but um, but yeah. So that that's a, a very a very different case. Another reason that I came up with for why people may want to buy individual issues is for cover art. Now, you know, it, I know that in a lot of trades, we get at the back. Not every time, but many times we get, let's say, the cover gallery. And that's fine, especially if those cover galleries are full page. I mean, sometimes, you know, what publishers will do is they'll squeeze four, sometimes more covers onto one page. And at that point, I say, why? You know, I mean, if if I want to see, you know, the 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 lushness of the of the covers, then don't give them to me too small. Give it to me full page, kind of like it would be like a full cover. Uh, if that's going to be an extra added bonus for a trade. So if you're interested in cover art, especially with alternative covers, and you know when we're talking about the big two, especially Marvel, you can have a gazillion alternative covers that um, that you and that gets to goes to collectability as well. And the last reason I came up with, and again, there there oh, wait a minute before you move oh, on. Okay, I'm before sorry. you move on from that, um, so do you think when Marvel collects the first six issues of Amazing Spider-Man, the reboot and uh, renumber, relaunch, however you, whatever your your wording is. Um, do you think they'll collect all forty-three covers full page <laughs> in that trade for the first issue? For the first collection that they have? Yeah. So will they keep? Will they insert all the variant covers for issue one in that in that trade? 
I, or will I it would, be the size of a postage stamp on I, a, the latter because it's not cost effective yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah so and again, if if you're into cover art, I could see someone gravitating toward individual issues over trades, if that's where you're going. Um, now another reason, and this is something that I've done my myself, or one of my own reasons for getting individual issues, and then inversely a reason why I like to get trades as well is if you're interested in the process. Okay, and so there are many creators who will change things, going from the individual series the serial run into trade either they will tweak or change something that was previously published and it could be something as simple as you know minor artwork or it could be something major like uh, part of the plot uh, and, and then many times they'll add to the storyline that they didn't either have time for or for whatever reasons didn't in the original serial run and you find this a lot with mini series I know one case in point is um Last year, when Gilbert Hernandez collected the individual installments of Julio's Day, which had appeared in the second series of Love and Rockets, um, he added quite a bit to the book collection, and it made a big difference in the way that the story was told. And so sometimes, if you want to see how an artist and a writer changes the story as it goes along, even from you know, packaging from you know, individual serial issues to the trade, that can be fascinating. So you'd need to have those individual issues on hand in order to see the process. Yeah, the same thing. We uh, There's uh, an example of that in uh, Walking Dead with the issue 50 and issue 75, the little uh, Easter eggs that Kirkman puts in the end of those with the dream sequence and the alien, alien sequence. Those are things you're only going to find in your single issue that he promised he would not put in omnibus or trade form. So there's there's something for his month-to-month uh, -month people who pick up the traditional floppy that he said he'd just leave in there and wouldn't reprint in the trades. Yeah. Oh, well, and that remind, in fact, that reminds me of something. One of the other reasons that I overlooked, and this is something that Andy pointed out early on, is that you don't have letter pages in trades. Mm -hmm. you yeah. Know? You don't have forwards. You don't have afterwards. Sometimes you don't have sketch art. And in the case of, and again, something Andy brought up, mind management, you know, with that first narrative arc, one of the things that Matt Ken did was if you take the back cover of the first several issues and you put them together, it presented... A particular image that of course you couldn't get with everything together there in in the trade and so there are a lot of little specials that you get with individual issues of course on the other hand there are certain things that you get in trades that you don't get with the individual issues for instance um, sketch art or you know alternative endings to the story I know I just recently reviewed um, Gilbert Hernandez again Gilbert Hernandez um, uh, Fatima the Blood Spinners for, for our blog and the story that we get in Fatima is basically the story that we get in that four issue four or five issue miniseries three three, three issues was it just three God yeah okay well I was off with five so it's basically the exact same thing now you do get in Fatima some extra sketch art in the book that Dark Horse put out earlier this year which is good on the other hand, there is one page of sketch art that appeared in that last issue of the miniseries that you don't get in the the collected issue, the edition. So, um, you know, sometimes you get more from one packaging format, sometimes more from the other. It all depends. I think uh, it was Scott Snyder 
uh, maybe in a podcast on uh, Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman podcast where he talks about the death in the family trade that he during the when the single issues were released there were there was a point of clarity there that that folks weren't getting they weren't getting the point well enough through the single issues mm-hmm. so he he rewrote it a little for the trade to 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 nail that point home and to really hammer it home and and spell it out a little bit more and I thought that was really interesting um and I had not realized that creators did that and took those liberties transferring their single issue arcs to trade and kind of tweaking and improving stories or deleting things yeah oh by the way i just looked it up fatima was four issues oh, okay so there you go um but it wasn't and i only have three. Oh. uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> was it really good even without that last issue um i don't know maybe i was waiting for the trade <laughs> on, on just on the last issue it was not a that's 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 not an economically viable system <laughs> you know, I'm I'm looking. I got a stack of um, of DC trades and hardcovers in front of me of recent ones, and I'm looking through them, and, and almost all of them, with only maybe one or two exceptions, have you know some kind of bonus features in the back, which is either you know the cover galleries or sketch art uh, or something. So it looks like DC is you know making that a fairly universal um, part of their or script excerpts too, a fairly universal part of their publishing strategy. And um, you mentioned uh, Sex Criminals in that first mm-hmm. trade really had some nice stuff in it and added bonuses too. It was a really nice package. What did, um, I'll need to get that. Yeah, I didn't get it. What did they offer? Uh, a lot of the a lot of the covers that you know you would have to chase. They showed some of those alternate covers and the the variant printing covers that were the really funny ones where they. Uh, look like a Sears portrait with Chip Zdarsky and um, uh, Matt Fraction posing, like a. Don't, like don't put those in the trade. I actually chased after all of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they they give it to you in the in the trade. I thought that was really nice, and um, it's it, they're really doing a lot of good, they're doing some great stuff there with that title. Mm-hmm. Now, a question: As I said, I have never bought a Marvel trade. Does a Marvel trade come with a trade digital code? Oh, that's a good question. Because one other advantage to some of the Marvel individuals is you get that digital code with it, and if that's not included in the trade, which I don't believe it is, but I wasn't sure, that's another advantage of your single-issue comic, over waiting for your trade. I think yeah. I think some do and some don't. I'm wondering, since you guys deal with the speculation side, um, number, well, I wonder in general, I don't know if, what the statistics are for who actually uh, you know turns in those codes when they buy their their comics but does that if if I do that if I peel back that flap and get that number have I ruined the value of that comic not so far um, and CGC has come out and said it yes. does not affect grading in any way shape or oh form. really really yes and those codes expire after one year anyway so after one year it's kind of a moot point not even that sometimes so, yeah not even a year at sometimes Hmm. Well, I'm going to town tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, I have, I have my week planned out now. You've yeah. been saving them? Yeah, I have like I have a long box here of all my Marvel Now comics and um, you know, so while we're talking here I'm going to start punching those codes in. Start uh, so, so don't mind me. No, but like <laughs> like the um there were there were a few issues recently that Marvel did like Avengers 24 that not only has 
the code um, for that issue, but also has a code for for a trade in it. Mm-hmm. What was it? Yeah, so you could get. I'm trying to look at it now. I, don't know. Yeah, I think you can get I the first six that. issues, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you see, this this brings up the question of um, you know, what you get for your money. And, you know, I know that this comes up a lot when we're talking about the costs of individual issues, right? Because up until, you know, recently, DC had been pretty good for the most part at holding the line at two ninety nine, And so when Marvel charged more, one of the things they could say that they offered for the extra buck is, hey, you know, you can get a digital copy. You know, now, whether you think that that's worth it or not, at least it's offering something. Because sometimes... You know, you pay more than two or three ninety nine, and you don't even get much more, if any more, story content. So I know that you know there's some titles that you know give you more or less, and in, in you know working with the price accordingly. Getting back to the trade, though, you know, if I get a trade of something and I get nothing more than what could have been found in the individual issues. I feel a little cheated, especially Absolutely. if I cho- if I choose to double dip. Now, if I didn't get the first, you know, the individual issues originally, and then I get the trade, I really have nothing to complain about. But if I get the individual issues, and then for, for any number of reasons decide to get the trade, and there's nothing extra in it, I- I'm not happy. But some of the uh, the hard covers, as opposed to the soft cover trades, don't, aren't they a little oversized sometimes? I think so you get a bigger page even. That's especially true with Marvel stuff. Yeah. And then for for the DC, you could sell me on trades so that I wouldn't have to read that 52, channel 52 thing at the end of each issue. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that alone is worth the price of uh, trade waiting, I think. Wow. <laughs> That's the inverse of what I brought up earlier about how in individual issues you get these nice things that you don't get in the trades. But because you get the channel 52 that you don't get in the trades and it's a reason ads. not to get yeah <laughs> absolutely I, I i just want the second part of that harley davidson story that's on the back of all the marvel comics i'm tired of seeing the first part where's that coming it says one of six where are the other six hmm. i'm just kidding but it has the wrecking crew in it <laughs> I don't, I don't get those issues, so I, I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about. You lost me. Yeah. Um, I did yeah. this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, some of the we talked about some of the benefits of individ, individual issues of, of serials. You know, I mean, obviously, one of the biggest benefits of getting a trade is the cost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, especially in the case of Image who they've been doing an incredible job at keeping the the price, uh, especially the first volume of the trades, very affordable. And, of course, if you find some place like Discount Comic Book Service, uh, which many of us, if not all of us, use. Never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the record. For, uh, <laughs> um, then, yeah, I mean, incredible deals. Yeah, it's, uh, I, l- I love the four ninety nine trade. I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, that, that's a lot of those nine ninety nine trades you can get for four ninety nine on that that first release date, and um, I mean, what a bargain! And it's most you're right; it's mostly the image stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm almost always guaranteed to pick up uh, the the volume one image trade. 
It's, yeah. it's just too hard to pass up, really. Did you get the Manifest Destiny in trade? Oh, yeah, sure. And what it was in that? I, I was curious. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I, I ordered it, I did not get it. Oh, okay. It's on its way. Yep. You know, that economics thing is interest. I find interesting with, you know, Marvel's trade policy, and we could probably have a whole show on Marvel's trade policy uh, and how one might feel about that. But that when, you know, when they release a hardcover, it it's usually actually a couple dollars more than what you would pay for the individual issues. And yeah. then it's another year or so before, or if the trade comes, the trade paperback comes out, which is the more economically viable uh, alternative. And that frustrates yeah. me. That frustrated me with, uh, especially with Spider-Man, which I had uh, at least for the first few. When the, the new, when uh, when Spider-Man went bi-weekly, I was just getting it in trades, and then I stopped at one point when there was one trade that had one issue of Spider-Man, two issues of some Spider-Man specials, and that was it. And see, that's they're they're taking a like a, a a publishing model of putting a hardcover out, you know, before you get the paperback, like for novels and things. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I mean, it's a different animal. They really, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous practice. I think I, I think hardcovers are for those super fans of that title that want the great the slip cover and the dusk jacket and the ribbon the ribbon in there you know and have it and have it on the wall and in the bookshelf I, I i hate the fact that they're using it putting it out first so that it's the only thing to buy mm-hmm. uh to, to get that collected and then you have to wait and wait and wait for the trade i really like i really like images model of putting it in as many people's hands as they can yeah it also ensures uh, you know uh, less attrition I think so because um, back at Image again, they, I think Brian Vaughn and Fiona Staples kind of started this, and it may predate this, but I noticed it first with Saga, taking the hiatus after your story arc mm-hmm. to collect it in trade, take the month off, let everybody catch up, let that trade have a full month of, of sales juice without any competition from your 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 title on the shelf and then start the next arc so there's clear points of of entry and throughout and um this last hiatus was a little long but uh for the most part it's uh, i've noticed a lot of other image creators that seem to be jumping on board that they take that month hiatus to put their trade out and then start up again yeah more yeah more and more image titles are doing that where that's seeming to become at least for the ongoing series the um, the norm, and again, Walking Dead is the exception because he Kirkman just won't stop. He just creeps cranking him out. God, okay, I'm blanking now. I was talking with someone recently. I can't and I can't remember. And I'm ashamed that I can't. Um, a creator who was who works with Image, and he said to me that. That when they started there to oh oh I know it was Joe Isma uh, it was at the Dallas Con and I was asking him about this I said now a lot of titles uh, you know with with Morning Glories I said a lot of titles at Image you know do have you know the a narrative arc which is about five or six issues then there's a brief hiatus and they use that to you know you 
know, prime the pumps, get their juices going again, taking a little break so they can be ready for the next arc and, and not burn out. And I said, uh, or have you guys considered going to, to a model like that? And he said, no, we have no plans on that. This wasn't the way it was at Image when we started a few years ago, Morning Glories. Mm-hmm. And so they have just maintained you know, this, this, this routine, you know, this regular uh, kind of publishing schedule like you'd find with DC and Marvel. Uh, and he, he 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 may have speculated, if I remember correctly, that you know if we had started several years later, like a lot of titles have been over the past one or two years at Image, then maybe they would do the whole hiatus thing. But um, they just haven't been doing it. But he said it really wasn't much of an option when they got started with Morning Glories. Yeah, that's that's curious. Um, that, that that is interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, another reason, and we've already mentioned this, I think all of us have in one form or another mentioned this, reasons of going with the trades, and that is, you know, we like an uninterrupted story, and then another way of putting that is that we uh, we like a coherent story. Because, you know, as you guys were pointing out, there are going to be some titles like East of West that if you read an individual issue, you know, it may make sense, or it may not, or by the time you get to the second issue, you feel that you have to, as I think Andy said go back and you know refresh yourself maybe reread the previous issue before you read the new issue so this sense of narrative coherence um, becomes an issue which you know in a trade you do get that but that's also speaks to the the it's it's a it's much more difficult to write a 22 page comic that has a beginning middle and end and is a standalone story it's a lot easier well, I'm just speaking. <laughs> I, I think. I mean, I, I'm not a creator, but I would think it would be easier to write a big story, and it would. It's probably financially more financially viable, and they get more more out of their writing by writing a six page, a six issue arc, or in Jason Aaron's case, a twelve issue arc of a of a story, breaking it up in twenty two page chunks. Uh, and that that way they can you they have one idea that they that they farm out and get paid for each issue, whereas if you have to have these self-contained beginning, middle, and end self-contained stories within each twenty-two page issue, and then they have to have a thread through them that connects the next one. That's a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging. And the the, the writers that do that are really good. Brian K. Vaughn in Saga is. The prime example; those are those are great issues on their own, but they are also part of a larger narrative. Um, so that really, to me, trades are a problem because people write for them, and it devalues the the enjoyment of a single issue. And in my opinion, it's because it's 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 easier to write, mm. and um, they make more money off of writing that way. That that's an interesting way to think about it because when I when I teach I teach classes on comics and graphic novels and one of the things I talk about in the history of comics is the experience of buying an issue of comics and that if you had started out, you know, in the nineteen thirties and forties, you you got a sixty four page comic with eight stories in it. <laughs> and so if yeah. we think about breaking down the economics of comics by story rather than say by page by number of pages um 
that to you know uh, shorter comics staying the same price and giving you fewer stories until you're down to you know in the 60s maybe uh, you know a full full length story and a full length novel as they would say in one issue or or a, a one story and a backup uh, and then once that you know the uh, the economics of of that reach reach a certain point and we we saw especially some backlash with the you know with prices getting too high for individual comics then you really start to see the move to a story being a six issue arc rather than a single issue being any any kind of unit of story that we might any kind of complete unit of story that we might consider right but if you continue to follow this mm-hmm. you know and they continue to devalue the importance of the single issue being a standalone story and mm-hmm. sales continue to to erode over time <laughs> you can mm-hmm. see it going to where it's online single issues only you know available digitally this floppy mm-hmm. comic dies and goes away and then they're collected in trade and if you want it if you want it in print you're going to get it in trade because there's not going to be single issues anymore because nobody's going to buy them yeah and one more thing, as we talk to the readability of your trades, also I get like I make sure I always have my, my Saga One trade, my Rat Queens now, and I'll get Manifest. That's the thing I loan out to people who don't read comics because it's yeah. absolutely perfect. I'm not going to hand over my my issue one of Saga, but I'm going to hand over my trade, and I've given it to three or four or five people. You know, people that don't see the viability of comics or don't understand what the current the current landscape of comics is, hand them your Saga One trade and say, read this and tell me what you think. You can hand them the first Walking Dead trade and say, you've seen the TV show. Here's what it began. Here's what started it as this. Here's what the root is. And that's, I love, I you know, with your image trades, yeah. your $5 trades, your cheap ones. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to get people who aren't into comics into comics to show people what, what image is doing with their kind of, you know, HBO Showtime versions of comics where they're telling stories where they can be raw and they can do whatever they want to, but they're telling original, wonderful stories. Well, Kyle, how many how, how, how many issues, number one, Saga, do you have? <laughs> Just the one. I have one signed by Brian K. Vaughn that I keep in a little plastic cover that I keep off to the side. And I have that whole run in first print just because I, I, I love it too much. <laughs> Not so on that one, right? No, but then I have doubles from, from like six on. <laughs> You know, this whole idea of writing for the trades, you know, I'm wondering if it, if not devalues the done-in-one single-issue concept, then um, maybe changes the way that we read comics. And so uh, maybe inherently we kind of think that a done-in-one issue is just not as good as something that's part of a larger whole, let's say a five- or six-issue run. Um... Now, on the one hand, I could see this being in the ca- being the case because someone says, "Hey, wait a minute! This is just a little little bitty story and not a larger narrative like you'd find, you know, with a novel, let's say a, a narrative arc that you find in a trade." But um, but it didn't seem to be the case, though. Let's say with the with with the Eisners, where you have the the pizza dog issue mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Of, uh, of of Hawkeye, you know, getting the nod. And so there's a case where you have an issue that doesn't necessarily need its neighbors within a particular arc to, to help it stand on its own, you know, getting a critical nod. Please don't get my brother started on Hawkeye. Yeah, let's not talk Hawkeye because that thing is, is impossible to read now. And 
a train wreck that <laughs> even ships out of order. So I mean, let's. I mean that uh, that issue. I, I, I will grant you. I was writing the the Hawkeye train when that came out. That was a beautifully crafted issue. I think ever since then, it's been a plummet, just right down. But that's just my opinion. But. Well, the, and the the trade well the trade situation for that is going to be interesting too because they're separating out the, um, whatever the the Kate Hawkeye stuff into one trade and the Clint Hawkeye stuff into another trade. So Almost you're not like even it's two different uh, comics, which is what yeah. it is. <laughs> so you're not you're not even going to get a trade that has sequential. There's going to be two trades without sequential issues in them. Ah, see, Kyle. But on a side story, uh, the Saga trade made up <laughs> some great money at, at Comics for Fun and Profit. That very first trade, they bundled in with that four-issue free uh, pre-story, the uh, Kate Bishop Zero issue from... Uh, not yeah, Saga. Not Saga. Or, you're sorry. About sorry. I'm sorry. I'm talking about Hawkeye, but I'm getting confused. Uh, that Hawkeye, they, they bundled in the first time Fra- uh, Matt Fraction wrote about Kate Bishop from, uh, I think it was Young Justice number 6 from about three or four years previous to that. And yeah. we had no clue Young, that was even in existence. Yeah, Young Avengers Presents number six, and it was a thing that Fraction wrote on Kate. So we immediately went out and scooped up as many of those as possible because we found out what a wonderful tie-in that was to that Fraction line. That's yeah, that good. was good. That that, and that was a discovery we would have only, we only found because of the. Now, one of the trade speaking of trade policies that are maddening. One of the collection policies that drives me nuts with DC is, like right now I'm looking at the first trade of the, the recent Justice League of America series, mm-hmm. and it has issues one through um, seven in it, but issue six and seven crossover. So you get two issues of that series out of sequence, not without any context surrounding them. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me, whereas when they when they collected the Throne of Atlantis storyline in a Justice League collection, it contains the issues of Aquaman that are part of that, that storyline. And in fact, the Aquaman trade for the same, same storyline is... Um, uh, I don't have that up here. Uh, is there, there's there's basically one issue different in each of the Justice League or Aquaman trades, uh, so they're they're identical except for that one issue. See, that is that's a tough call too because I on the one hand I would want that series collected in sequence in my trade paperbacks, but then I also would want uh, the crossover event mm. to. Be- collected as as a whole as well and if you have both then you've you've mm-hmm. duped yourself and you've got you you've double dipped and you didn't want to yeah so I, and I, I can definitely see the argument for both sides on that one and they've done it too i i mean i i didn't pay any money for these so i double dipped <laughs> anyway but uh i have the trinity war collection too which has you know all the issues of trinity of trinity war so uh so they have at least given those i guess that's maybe what you're saying to give collectors those options and if you want a series completely in sequence even if the issues are not are part of a larger crossover it doesn't matter uh, to you you can have issues one through seven here if you want the whole trinity war story you get this other book here yeah you know still another reason to get 
traits over individual issues is that if if you do see the trade as the definitive edition or co- a collection of some sort as a definitive edition, then I could see where many people would either wait for the trade or just kind of privilege that over individual issues. Uh, and I know that this is something that Andy and I uh, have dealt with a number of times, both as, uh, in terms of teaching comics and also in terms of writing about comics. Because I can tell you, you know, if you if you write an essay on a series, it's much more of a pain in the ass to cite and then note in a works cited page individual issues than it is to cite a trade collection or any kind of collection of the storyline. Uh, it's just easier to work with. And also, when it comes to collected editions, either in trades or hard hardcovers, then you have the story that comes after the individual issues, and so you just kind of assume that this is the most recent version of this story that the author, the creators have put out, therefore it's you know the definitive edition. If, if, if that makes sense, I'm hearing silence, so maybe it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to process. Is that like APA style? Uh, oh, like, no, no, that's, well, okay. In terms of just basic mechanics, now Andy and I come from a background mm-hmm. uh, of, of English studies, and so more times than not, when we use a style manual, it's going to be the Modern Language Association style manual. Mm-hmm. And even though there has been hints here and there that MLA is going to come out with you know some official policy on how to cite, how to list, how to quote, and how to list bibliographically uh, speaking, you know, individual issues of comic books, they haven't yet. Mm-hmm. And so you can treat a trade like almost any other book, like any regular book, non-comic text, whereas individual issues of comics what are you going to cite? What are you going to list on the bibliography or a works cited page? And it may sound, you know, like little, you know, namby-pamby things that you have to consider that doesn't get to what the comic's all about. And, and yeah, it does. But if you do write about comics like this, you have to worry about those little technical issues. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my wife writes a, a grammar handbook and she does uh, there's a whole citation section in there and and we've gone back and forth and trying to kind of cobble together from various MLA rules how to do a, a comic book and so she does there is an example I've put an example in or helped her put an example in there of how to cite a comic book yeah and, and when I see and I think individuals are starting to attempt to, to do that um, I know several years ago, a good number of years ago, the Popular Culture Association, and it could have been just like two or three guys getting together deciding what they wanted to do, but they came up with um, a kind of a citation and bibliographic format for using comics in scholarly writing. And they put it up on a web page. It hadn't been updated in years and mm-hmm. years. But, you know, right now it's probably the thing out there that makes the most sense. And so. If I have to make a choice of you know how to format something, I'm going to use the information that they provide on this website. Um, and because I have to deal with these issues, it's much easier for me to say, okay, screw the individual issues. I'm just going to use a trade. And if I don't have it, like for instance, several years ago I was doing an article on Scalped. And I definitely got every single issue of Scalped, but it was much easier for me to write that article 
after I went out and bought the trades. <laughs> that is an incredibly small subset <laughs> of the <laughs> reasons why exactly. you would prefer a trade. Because it's easier to cite in scholarly writing. <laughs> yeah. Sign yeah. me up. But I think for even non-scholars, there's this sense that, okay, if something comes out collected and it's the last thing published, then this has to be the most up-to-date, in other words, the most definitive yeah. edition of that story. Yeah, I, I mean, I've read all of Walking Dead, and I have trades, and I've, I mean, I haven't read the early issues in single. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, would, I think I have them in multiple versions, but I would really like to have those phone books that Kyle mentioned earlier. Um, those I would collect. Now, those aren't really trades. They're more omnibus, but um, I would like to have those because that would be definitive, you know, 48-issue chunks, and, and that's something I would keep on my, on my bookshelf. So I, I would go that way. Um, I, I had a question for the comics for fun and profit guys. Since we've talked about collectability, um, kind of flipping over to when when a trade becomes collectible, and you know, it, it seems like you said earlier, it's it's when they're out of print. Are there any kind of trends you see recently? Are there trends towards some some trades? or hardcover collections being ones that collectors should look out for and, and, and try to get because they will or may become collectible? I know Bob loves the mind management hardcovers. Mm -hmm. Bob, you still there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I got uh, I got one with uh, an illustration from Matt Kitt and the inside cover. Uh -huh. and it's one of my favorite collectibles. And that and that increased the value over cover price, correct? I'm sure it's one of them things that, uh, I mean, I, we speculate on a lot of stuff, and there's there's stuff I buy just to flip, and then there's stuff that I just love. I mean, that's the fun side mm -hmm. of our of our thing. So, and that's just one of those things that I guarantee it's not going to ever leave my shelf except when I read that, it. <laughs> that first IDW, um, the artist editions, the big oversized, mm -hmm. the beautiful things uh, that they put out. Um, some of those have. Gone into gone out of print, and those are five six hundred bucks now. You know, mm -hmm. and and I do not have the uh, disposable income to play that game at that mm -hmm. level because I think they're about one hundred twenty five when they come out. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're beautiful. I mean, I've I've mm -hmm. looked at them lovingly on on comic board comic book store shelves, and uh, they're great. But uh, I think like the first the Simonson Thor. Is one that comes to mind that went out of print and is big money, and I believe uh, one Wally of the early Woods. the Wally Wood, yeah, yeah, the first one, yeah, that's huge. Um, that's kind of a special animal, but uh, you know that that's that's kind of neat. Um, you know, some of the lower price stuff that you know I tend to deal with lower priced comics and just liquidating my collection. But um, if I find interest in the big the, the stuff that's popular, you know, people want to find. You know the Walking Dead's, the hardcovers, and the, the the trades out there, and you know the the evergreen stuff, Sandman, and, Why the Last Man, those sort of things. And Bob, didn't you get a bunch of uh, Walking Dead trades for cheap through a fire sale not too long ago? 
for a flip just because some of that stuff you can find a liquidation sale on yeah yeah um that was one of them special moments where it was around christmas and uh special moments it was, <laughs> it was like it sounds and, like and, it was a hallmark movie in the, in the speculation business there's there is special moments where you get a find and you mm-hmm. you, you about crap your pants because you know you're gonna be making some money and uh yeah they had a whole bunch of walking dead hardcovers for i mean next to nothing um that i knew would would go would i could resell them pretty easily because you know a lot of people just just read that title and most of them read it and and you know trade format and the hardcover was just a icing on a cake so you know uh Bob brought up the mine management collection, right? That was you, Bob. Yes, sir. So- signed, yeah, and 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 drawn in. That actually brings up another reason I hadn't thought of for for buying the trade. Um, you know, I, I go to Heroes Con every year in Charlotte since it's close by me, and um, there's certain artists who show up there every year, like like Matt Kent. And I have made it a point now to buy a lot of his stuff in trade because he will do a sketch in the collection. But we'll just sign the individual issue. Huh. Yeah, Fraction and Z- Zadarsky were doing some very creative things at the trade pa- their first trade paperback yeah, at that yeah, first con yeah. we're at. <laughs> Involving as much white glue as they could on your pages. Oh. <laughs> that is that is awesome. I'm gonna have to get that. They're gonna they're both gonna be at Heroes Con, I'm gonna have to get that trade. Tell tell them what Ken there did to your um, red handed last year. Oh yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you've seen seen what Matt Kent does with his book Red Handed from first second, uh, but he has has a certain page. He op- he opens when you ha- you hand it over to him to sign it. He flips the book open to a certain page and he lights the page on fire. What? <laughs> <laughs> and then he and then he closes the book, you know, to put the fire out, and it burns off a corner of the page, and it actually ends up creating a new image that clearly seems to have been intentional. That the the pr- one page, you know, the the exposed corner of the of the underneath page blends in with the the top page to create a new image. I've heard good, um, heard good things about that. Is it a, is it a good read? It it is a good read. I I oh, it's uh, you really know good. Uh, uh, I wrote a, actually ended up writing a paper and doing a presentation on that. You know that 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 is to me that's part of the same philosophy that Kent has with. Uh, making those individual issues of mind management a unique experience that that there's an immersive quality to the work he does that puts you into the world especially with mind management but with his other works too where you you so red-handed is about art crimes so you know starting a fire inside a convention center (laughs) is <laughs> kind of an art kind of an art crime yeah. and so and you know you're implicated in that you're, you're part great. of that world and That's in mind great. management you know how mind management the pages are yeah uh, look like their original art pages uh, so I I made the argument that we're reading a secret document from mind management yeah and mind management exists in our world and either we've had our brains wiped out by them so we don't know why we are uh, why we happen to have access to this thing or uh, we've somehow uh, you know in uh, managed to get this thing but whatever it is that that he blurs the fictional and real worlds that's very meta <laughs> yeah yeah exactly 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I can think of a, a handful of other artists that, that, that do that. I mean, I, one, one show I had the, one of those big, um, big annihilation collections from Marvel and, and one of the artists was there. I can't remember who. And, um, I asked him to sign it and there's a whole bunch of people who had contributed to that at this show. So I was getting a bunch of signatures and he did a little quasar sketch in it. And the guy sitting next to him, the other artist sitting next to him said, you know, why are you doing that? And he said, well, if somebody buys the hardcover, I feel like I should give them a little something extra. That's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking about doing a post on our, on our blog of like taking pictures of all the different stuff, the sketches, uh, uh, do it. What's his name? Uh, Darwin cook does it too. Oh, wow. You know, um, something that I I don't think has come up tonight in in our conversation is we've discussed what trades tend to do in terms of writing for comics, um, where now individual issues are written, you know, as Drew pointed out, in ways that they are just one part of the larger story. But what about other things that the popularity of trades, relatively speaking, has done to individual issues where, I mean, there are some series that no longer exist in serial form. Um, You know, one case in point is one of my favorite comics, and this is out of Drawn and Quarterly, and that is Seth's Palookaville. Um, Now, I've got, I think I've got all issues of Palookaville going back quite a number of years. And yeah, those issues of the serial didn't come out regularly, like every several months, maybe two, sometimes three a year, if you're lucky. Um, but now we have Palookaville coming out in, I guess, what we could call a graphic novel form, a collected form. Um, but it's not collected because it's never come out previously, and it tends to come out about every two years or so. And so you have a thicker issue in like a graphic novel format. So if you had, let's say, with a with an individual issue of Palookaville, something like, and I can't remember, but let's say for argument's sake, 30 or 30-some pages, with the graphic novel format, you may get anywhere from 80 to 110, let's say. Uh, so it may be worth the wait. But what it does then is it takes away from the serial aspect of that particular title and even if I did have to wait several months half a year or so for an issue of Palookaville god now I have to wait a year or two for an issue and the same thing with another good example is Love and Rockets this is something that Andy and I talk about often on on the comics alternative and you know we love Love and Rockets but now it comes out again consistently I mean they're not late on this but it comes out just once a year so it doesn't come out about every three months or so, as let's say the title used to. Wow, that's a, that that's a a real wait. That's really trade waiting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, there there's some of these titles that no longer exist, and I think a lot of this is with the alternative, what you would call the alternative press or the alternative publishers. For instance, um, Joe Matt's Peep Show. I can't remember when the last issue of Peep Show from Drawn and Quarterly was ever released. Um, you don't have that anymore. You don't have Peter Bagg's Hate. In fact, Hate turned into an annual, 
uh, I don't know, about 13, 14 years ago. And even then, the annual didn't come out every year after a while. Uh, and I think that he has no plans on even continuing the hate annual now. So that's a title that, even if it came out infrequently, no longer exists because these creators are writing, not necessarily writing for the traits, but they're writing for the graphic novel, what we can call the graphic novel format. Because that may be more economically viable. It, I think it is. I mean, again, to go back to, to my interview with Laramie, he was talking about the payouts uh, for for him. He makes about 50 cents a single issue uh, comic when it comes out. But when that trade came out, it was uh, it was closer to four dollars per mm-hmm. per trade. So that same four thousand copies that really makes is a nice check for him when the trade comes out, even if it's even if it's about the same level of a single co- single issue. So I think there's a a much dif- different uh, economic uh, setup there for, for, for the trades and the creators. So it's about it in that situation. It's a, it's basically he, he, he gets a dollar more for the number of issues in the trade, right? So he'll end up getting about three bucks an issue for the, or three bucks total uh, for six issues. Well, four. Right. I think he said four. Oh, oh, he's doing four. Oh, okay, that's even better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he said he got four for the trade, and fifty cents an issue. So yeah, yeah. There's... But those, how many issues are in the trade? Oh, yes, six, seven. Yeah. So that's the three. The that's the <laughs> three three dollars. Yeah, you're right. Individual issues, and then yeah, Kyle's right. There's seven in in his trade. Oh, okay. and So that would be three fifty. So he's actually get. Yeah, I guess he's getting paid again for his his seven issues, basically. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Now, I know some creators um, are kind of behind the scenes at Image don't don't really like the nine ninety nine trade deal, and some of them resist it and don't and actually don't do it, and others yeah. others do La- it. Laramie's because, Laramie's is nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Um, because some of them feel like <laughs> their audience is their audience. They're going to sell X number of copies no matter what. So why sell X right. number of copies at nine ninety nine when you can sell them at fourteen ninety nine? Yeah, I think folks like Brian K. Vaughn and and Robert Kirkman they have the luxury of, um, you know, having a lot of cash <laughs> and not have to worry about that sort of thing. And they can they can do that and pass that savings along and and, and play back the long game a little easier than others. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, they they have value just their very name right so even if they don't have cash where they can afford to do that i mean almost anything that brian k vaughn puts out almost anything now that robert kirkman puts out almost anything now that ed brubaker puts out it's going to get bought by a lot of people and so they have more of a luxury uh in in ways that people like laramie does not yes just because of yeah. sheer, you know, well, not only re- name recognition, but, I mean, they've been around a lot longer, and so, you know, this is something that they've earned. And so, you know, there is a particular B- Brian K. Vaughn brand that we come to expect, just like Ed Brubaker. I mean, if Ed Brubaker suddenly came out with, um, I don't know, a, a little frou funny animal story <laughs> and, and called it, you know, uh, Little Gothic or something, I, I, I would be floored. 
because it would come out of nowhere. But if I know that Ed, Bru- Ed Brubaker is doing something, regardless of publisher, I'm probably going to buy it because I, there are certain things I expect from Ed Brubaker, and I love everything that I've read of his, you know, mainstream and otherwise. So I'm going to tend to gravitate to him because he's Ed Brubaker. Um, fans of our show will know that, that Derek <laughs> buys anything that has the word Lil in the title. Yes, he is on, yeah. in the tank for all the, all the Lil stuff. It, I, uh, does he have an iPod full of Lil Wayne songs? And... <laughs> <laughs> fact, Andy, Andy caught me being inconsistent uh, the other on this most recent podcast that went up today. Um, we were going through the June previews catalog, which has a lot of really good stuff. And one of one of the things I was really looking forward to is that you know Terry Moore has a new comic coming out called um, SIP Kids. You know, so basically it's his Strangers in Paradise characters and that he hasn't visited with since 2007. And he's writing them as kids. And so I said, Oh, I'm looking forward to that. And then Andy said, Well. Doesn't this contradict your, you know, no little comics policy? <laughs> so yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I think we both uh, submit both our podcasts submit clips to uh, John's show, um, comic book his, page. His weekly, yeah, his comic book page preview spotlight. And I always enjoy your clips because they're, for some reason, the stuff that you find I have overlooked in the back half of previews. There's just so much stuff in there. And you always find something really cool from Fanagraphics or First Second, and I have to go take a second look. So I always appreciate the stuff that you dig up back there. Oh, cool. Well, thanks. And I think a lot of that just comes from the nature of at least what Andy and I do, and not only together on the Comics Alternative podcast, but just individually, right? I mean, you know, I, on our very first episode, which we called a Comics Alternative Manifesto, we went back and forth and kind of wrestled with this 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 label of alternative comics what does it mean do we want to call it that is should we call it something else but a lot of the comics that we do tend to discuss and i guess privilege on the show are those that come in the back half of the catalog i mean again you know we do a lot of things with uh, the premium <laughs> publishers or the premier publishers and the big two but you know there are a lot of um uh, publishers like fantagraphics like drawn and quarterly like uncivilized books like first second uh, top shelf that they don't tend to get a lot of press at least in, in terms of mainstream comics discussions mm-hmm. and, and and the thing is with those publishers more times than not you will not find individual single issues you know it's all either you know not not just trades but original graphic novels or you know books that yeah. you know have not been serialized at all yeah, these are the you guys, guys probably that, you guys probably probably recognized a lot more of the Eisner Awards than we did when we went through them. Well, I listened to their yeah. I listened to their episode, and they weren't that far ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, okay. they they were stumped on a few as well. I thought yeah. that was interesting. We were we weren't that bad. It was surprising. Although Andy did mention something, he he came up with this phenomena that that uh, he called the the comics alternative bump. And uh, yeah, he yeah, believes like that. that because we because we talked about some of the, the title, or many of the titles actually that were on the list this year that we had something to do with it. We'd like to think that. I like his, I also liked Andy's plan to get to know, in quotes, the judges for Eisner's, and that's the best way to get your podcast nominated because they'll pound the table for you at, when it comes time for nominations. I like that plan as well. 
So yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> you know, they always they now they now have a policy of having at least one comic scholar and one librarian on the um, on the judging panel, and those you know the the world of comic scholarship is a very very small world, uh, and so mo- most most people know each other um, pretty well. So on on the one hand, I've I've gotten to be able to talk to judges and find out what really goes on in the room and that that stuff happened. Uh, but uh, on the, on the other hand, it doesn't seem to help. <laughs> yeah. But and, are you are you on the short list to be one of those judges? I I don't know. I I would love it. I would love to do it. I think well, something we can talk about off the yeah. show. But I, I I would guess Derek has a faster track to be on the. Uh, be a judge than I do. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I you know, we'd love to be. It'd be great if they asked. But we both the podcast. Could you guys be on there jointly? It's like, yeah. Um, I you know the thing with our podcast when we first were conceiving of okay, what it what would the comics alternative be? We thought okay, this would be a way of kind of straddling both you know the fan audience and a more scholarly audience and kind of bringing them together. And I, and I think we've tried to do that throughout. You know, we're go- almost up to our you know two year anniversary now, but I really don't think we have many comic scholars listening to the podcast because I-, I don't think that there are a lot of comics. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if there are a lot of comic scholars who listen to podcasts. John and I have this conversation every once in a while too. Uh, there's really not that many folks that read comics, and mm-hmm. then that subset of that audience, there's not that many of those. You know, there's only a certain percentage of those that. Take the time to listen to a podcast, and then the fact that there are so many comic podcasts—it's mm-hmm. it, really tough to rise above uh, it because it's such a small audience for those folks that are mm-hmm. trying to, you know, quit their jobs and 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 make a living off of podcasting on comics. My hats off to them, but I, I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what the percentage of comic readers who have podcasts is. I think it's probably <laughs> the highest per capita uh, in of, any, of any hobby. <laughs> yes, it'll have to be. Uh, they're just they're just tons out there. Well, you know, yeah. I just recently started to listen to the podcast called Podcasters Roundtable, where they have uh, every episode, you know, podcasters from a variety. Of different areas come together and talk about you know a particular topic or theme, and there's just podcasts about things that I did. I mean, beekeeping uh, in New Zealand. Uh, now, my dad was a beekeeper, so it's like okay, it makes sense. It'd be nice to have a podcast that is devoted to beekeeping, but I, I I would never do that, and I would think that that would be definitely a rarity in like comics podcasts. <laughs> yeah, so there's one for almost anything under the sun. Well, we keep getting we're on we're we host on Podomatic right now. Which is our pod, our, and and we keep getting our butt butts kicked by the knitting podcast. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's a huge, huge culture, us, and so yeah. uh, we can, we can't compete. We can't keep with the knitting housewives. So I I haven't figured out the formula yet. Or didn't? And it's not just housewives. Didn't Rosie Greer? Oh no, no, that was um, Rosie Greer did some other kind of craft. It wasn't knitting. Remember years ago this came out. Is he a football player? Yeah. yeah. He, did, he, he did It's All Right to Cry. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, 
anyway, that kind of fell flat. But um, <laughs> well, we've we've drifted a little from our topic. But I mean, I do, you know, I I do think that you know when you guys were mentioning finding a voice within the podcasting, specifically comics podcasting community, I think that both of our podcasts have attempted to do that in different ways. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it was good that both of us, you know, Comics for Fun and Profit and then the Comics mm-hmm. Alternative came together to discuss this topic of trade waiting because we can see from today's discussion, I mean, we're, we're coming at it from different angles and, you know, and, and some of those different angles have something to do with our, with the nature of our podcasts. Some of those differences from just our individual tastes and reading habits. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, issues of collectability have come into play here. Um, as well as, you know, whether something actually does have a serial anymore. Um, you know, a lot of the titles we discuss are no longer released in that format, so. Well, you guys read com- single-issue comics as, as young kids, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, spinner racks at 7-Elevens and grocery mm-hmm. stores and things of that and, sort. And those those comics, I may be looking back through rose-colored glasses, but there were they were worth your your fifty cents or seventy five cents. Yeah, you know they were they were jammed full of of pages. They were really good stories, um, and I I just think this the waiting for the trade mentality has watered down mm-hmm. the single issue so much that it's just it's it's really tough to find good experiences. I mean, there's a lot of great comics out there because I, I I read a, I read a lot of them and I enjoy a lot of comics. So don't I'm not. I'm not crying about the the, the woeful great days of, of yore, but I just think that this this has devalued it a bit. Yeah, I mean, I remember back now. This is going to date me, but when you know, <laughs> one of the one of the uh, key moments for me as a comic reader was when uh, Wolfman and Perez's New Teen Titans number one came out, and when that series came out every month. I sat down and reread every issue of it, uh, uh, and then and then read the new issue. Yeah. So as a collector, my copies of those first those issues that series which I have are are a mess. The same <laughs> they're, they're way with Moon Knight. Yeah. yeah. The same with Moon Knight. I've just I, yeah. I just read them and read them and read them, and I cannot tell you a comic that I've reread recently. I don't think I do. I don't reread reread anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of. I can't think of much. Much either, unless it's unless it's as you know, Derek talked about for for research or something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and I did that with New Teen Titans for years. So there were you know, and plus I had the time to sit down and read thirty six issues of a comic or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I'm planning on reading uh, X Men Days of Future Past to trade on that before I go see the movie coming out. So there's a few things I <laughs> I have plan on rereading or going back to check out. Yeah. You know, there are certain key titles that I will even now go back and reread, let's say, the previous three or four issues. My habits, my reading habits with the serials that I get is many times I don't keep up with them. So four, sometimes five months can go by uh, and, and say I haven't read an issue of Fables you know, or The Massive. Uh, which I continue to get in single issues. So, yeah. you know, what I'll do is I'll decide I got to get caught up. And so I will, before I get caught up, since it's been so long, I'll go back and reread the previous several issues before, you know, that, that where I had left off. And 
certain titles I'll do those with, you know, Fables, The Massive, uh, Mind Management, uh, Manhattan Projects, you know, those I will go back and reread in a limited way, but only because of memory issues, I guess. And, and The Massive is usually three-issue story arcs, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah. They have been of... recently. They're, they're just three. They're three-issue chunks, so they're kind of mini-trades, I guess. You know, yeah. let, I usually let them stack up like that, too. And read them in three three issue chunks, or let's say DC uh, issues Forever Evil Seven about three months late. You have to go back and read four <laughs> or five of those beforehand just to get into that seventh one. So there's some rereading involved for that kind of thing yeah. as well. Yeah, and there you go. Another reason to to maybe go with the trades instead of the individual issues, and this is on the publisher's part, right? Because if for whatever reason, you know, um, they're late in getting yeah. issues out and it, and it could be the creator's problem but the publishers ultimately you know the the you know the the, uh, the buck should stop with them cuz they're the one putting the stuff out so if they're several months late with an issue i can see where that would frustrate you know for instance like Kyle and and you know any number of readers would just say screw it i'm i'm stopping with this and we'll just wait till they get their act together and come out with a trade yeah, we love comics, but then we hate comics, too, sometimes, <laughs> when, they, when they do stuff like that. Like a true fan. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, guys, we've covered quite a bit of ground uh, this evening in our discussion. Any any final thoughts on trades versus individual issues? Love trades. Wish I could wait on them, but I just can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... I, I, I think... I think it's killing the industry, but uh, I, I don't I don't have any proof to that. I guess uh, it just feels like it feels like it's really killing the industry. And um, but I do understand it because there are titles that really really makes better sense in trades. So it's a it's a necessary evil, I guess. Well, with me, they're making more money because I usually only buy trades of single issues that I've already read. So there, there goes a the double dipping again. Andy, your final thoughts? Oh, oh, I'm I'm all over the place on on trades and individual issues. So, uh, yeah, and I even double dip sometimes myself too. So, yeah, yeah but I, I like can. I like all the options. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's something that we haven't really discussed yet is that fact that we do have these options. You know, and not only between single issues and trades. But, you know, larger collections, for instance, deluxe editions or absolute editions or omnibuses. I mean, you know, there's the, there's the option for us not only just to double and triple dip, but to, you know, quadruple dip. It, it's just amazing. Yeah, they have, there's, there's an endless amount of ways that they can take my money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, guys, this has been fun. I'm glad we took the time yeah. to, to get together. We'll have to do another crossover. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. We had a good time. That was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that conversation. We got uh, we got into some stuff about trade waiting, but is 
our crossover podcasts usually go, there is uh, we get off on tangents as well. Yeah, and we did that especially toward the end. But but they're productive and informative tangents. In fact, you know, had we more time. I would have been interested in talking with them about the ins and outs of their particular podcast, you know, how they got started, what they have to deal with in terms of getting three and not just two people together. That's because we, that's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also what they've done in terms of trying to get sponsors because, you know, the, the DCB service stuff came up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, maybe, maybe some other time. Yep. Yep. Fun discussion. And on the topic of discount comic book service, that's who sponsored this episode of the Comics Alternative. So be sure to go to dcbservice.com. Go there, and they will help you with all your comics pre-ordering needs. And if you want to buy trades that are already out, as we discussed you know, in the roundtable, some people prefer trades over the single issues, you can do so by visiting DCBS's sister company, In Stock Trades. That's InStockTrades.com. And after you've gone to get your comics wherever you get them, DCB Service or In Stock Trades, then give us a call and let us know the kind of things that you want to read. You can, you can call us. Our phone number is 4153-COMICS. That's 415-326-6427. That's right. Or you can uh, get a hold of us by email. We are two guys at comicsalternative.com, and you can get a hold of us individually. I'm Andy at comicsalternative.com, and you are Derek at comicsalternative.com. And we have our Twitter feed where we make announcements about upcoming episodes as well as new content to our blog. You can find our Twitter feed at the number two guys with PhDs. That's right. We're also on Facebook. Go to Facebook, type in Comics Alternative, one word. You'll instantly and easily find us. Go there and like us. We're also on Tumblr, comicsalternative.tumblr.com. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. You can stream us through Stitcher. And as always, you can find the podcast and our many and growing number of reviews and comics-related commentary on the blog at comicsalternative.com. That's right. A lot of good stuff. And we had a great conversation today. But we will be back next week for our regular review show. Until then, I'm Derek. And I'm Andy. See ya. you for letting me reminisce a little bit. Let's go about Derek Royal. Rest in peace, buddy.